Today, we have Kim Radiker Bays on the show. Kim is a proven value add multifamily syndicator in the DFW area. She has a proven track record with a stellar reputation in the multifamily space. Kim and her team have purchased 22 properties, and they currently manage 11 properties with over 4,300 units. Today, Kim will talk about why multifamily is a good real estate inflation hedge, vertical integration, and how they have taken that to a completely different level, and her goal of creating over 100 millionaires by investing in their multifamily deals. Before we jump into the intro, don't take a chance on missing out on a future episode to learn from proven seasoned investors. Go to Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe, and please select the five-star review. Thank you. We are currently at 292 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we are shooting to get to the 300 mark. We are so close. Thank you for stepping up. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Kim Radiker Bays before we start the show. Kim lives in the DFW area. She's been purchasing value-add multifamily properties for over 10 years. Not only did she create a company called Exponential Property Group, focused on acquiring and rehabbing value-add multifamily properties, but she and her team expanded their capabilities to include an in-house property management company, their own materials company, a construction arm, and the latest is an arm that does signage and embroidery. Her and her team are always looking for new ways to become more efficient, gain a competitive advantage, and maximize returns to investors. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest with us today. We've got Kim Radiker bays Kim, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. So just a little bit about how I know Kim. So Kim, if you're not familiar with her, she is a rock star, especially in the Dallas area. She runs a company called Exponential Property Group. And, um, you know, when I first started getting involved about three years ago, I, I listened to you on Old Capital Podcast, um, was very impressed, reached out, and uh, you know we ended up doing a face-to-face, and then I invested 100 grand with, with Kim and her group, and I've been very, very happy with the way they run things, and um, so very happy to have you on here today. Thank you very much. I s- typically start by asking how many properties and how many units um, are you currently invested in? So currently we have 11 properties and just under 4,300 units. 
but that's uh, a moving target at the moment. We've got a couple properties under contract to sell and are looking for some more. Um, so we've sold 11 properties previously. So we've over the past 10 years have purchased uh, 22 properties, still own 11 of them as of today. And so that's about 7,600 or so units over time. So it's crazy. Um, so I remember, so the last year or so I've been kind of focused on, on the podcast and, and co-sponsoring some deals. But, um, I remember when I got involved three, three and a half years ago, and when I was around chasing deals, I would go into these properties like, you know, for comps. Right. And I'd walk mm-hmm. in and it got to the point where I would walk in and I'd be like, this is an exponential property. Like you guys do such a phenomenal job with your rehab. And so you just kind of feel it like, you know, and I'd be like, who's the owner? And they'd be like, exponential. I'm like, I knew it. Like it, you know, you guys it, it do had a red chimneys, job. right? Right. There's an right. awful lot of red chimneys on our properties. You do, so. you do a great job. So, um, talk you. about that. Like you, from a rehab perspective, you know, I'm in, in a multifamily mentorship group and, you know, I'm just going to ballpark, you know, people, uh, you know, focus on value add deals, syndicating deals. And the rehab is, you know, typically in that three to 6,000 per door range. And, but I see you guys, you guys spend more money on the rehab and, and really change things up. And, and I, whenever I walk into the office, the office is always super, super nice. So talk about your, your guys view on, um, on the rehab. Sure. So, I mean, we, we probably don't actually spend a whole lot more than other people do, um, but we're able to probably get a little bit more done for the dollars that we spend because we do do a lot of it in-house. So um, we are a vertically integrated company. Um, so Exist Multifamily is our uh, import arm of the business. So we import and then also have direct distributorships with um, things like Train for our air conditioners and GE and Frigidaire for appliances. Um, so we're able to cut a lot of the costs, um, middleman costs out of a lot of those pieces, either through importing stuff or having the larger relationships where we buy in large quantities in order to do that. So um, I'm actually at the warehouse today um, over here, <laughs> had a couple meetings this morning. So um, at the warehouse today and in doing that, and it was really fun. We actually had um, our investors out last Tuesday and they got to come see the warehouse and see some of the kind of behind the scenes pieces that contribute to the success of the properties um, by having all of that here. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And pieces. you know, t- you talked about um, being vertically integrated and I've talked to a number of syndicators that, you know, some of them have gone that route, um, vertical integration. And, but for most syndicators, that means they're bringing the, the in-house management, the, um, Mm -hmm. you know, third-party property management, they're bringing that in-house. But for you guys, you guys kind of have three arms. You, you've got the syndication arm, you've got the bringing in, uh, property management into, Mm -hmm. into, uh, exponential. And then you also have a materials arm where you're actually going and sourcing out all the materials that you're using for the rehab. Sure. And it's actually kind of worse than that, too. Serial serial (laughs) entrepreneurs. So we have all of the construction team that's all in-house as well for all the interior renovations. Um, And then we also have a graphics company that does um, all of the signage and branding pieces. We can, you know, embroider shirts and uh, 
you know, do all sorts of other things, laser engraved mugs and print the big monument signs and build the stuff. Um, and that some of the tools that we have there are also enabling us um, on the material side to start getting into actually building the cabinet fronts if, when we want to replace cabinet fronts on some of the properties that we've acquired recently. That's awesome. Um, and we've got some uh, a partnership now with a with a granite um, fabricator that can custom do the granite for for some of the units that we're doing as well. That's, so. that's amazing. So, um, on the material side, so I'm a first time syndicator three years ago and, and, um, small deal, not, you know, not bumping up against you, um, 76 unit deal, but you know, there were, when it came time to, to purchase some materials, like I loved your, your backsplashes and we were buying, you know, directly from you. So you guys not only source for your own deals, on the material side, but you also will sell to other syndicators or other developers that, and um, so that's a whole separate company that you're, you know, they're sourcing for you guys, but you're, they're also sourcing for other people as well. Are you doing the same thing on the construction and the graphics company side? Um, The graphics does uh, sell to third parties. The construction, we haven't done a whole lot of third party because we've always just kept our crew really, really busy internally. Um, But we definitely have some some of our friends that have asked us to to probably uh, take on some of the renovation for you. So that's something that we're considering on the third party basis. Uh, But it always kind of is based on time allowed and what we have to work with. And and really having the construction in-house is the thing that makes the biggest difference. Um, we've tried working with GCs on several different occasions. We've, you know, as we've been growing, we're like, oh, we're not going to have time to do all of this ourselves. We really, you know, we should scale up. We'll bring in a GC. And every time it just kind of turns into a mess. Um, interiors are really hard. Uh, there, There's just a lot of moving pieces to manage and a lot of the flow and the scheduling and kind of how to do things and what to check on and whatever else. And so um, most of the GCs just don't have the project management and systems built in to really run those efficiently. And so mm-hmm. um, the first time we tried to use a GC was on the second property that we ever owned because we were going from 77 units to 244. And we're like, oh, we're really going to need, we're going to need extra help and whatever else. And um, six weeks into the project, there were 38 units that had been started. None of them had actually been finished. Um, they weren't actually using genuine Sherwin-Williams paint. They were using a color match. And so none of the buckets of paint actually matched each other at all. So we couldn't touch up the walls. I had to repaint a bunch of units. Um, oh, no. So anyway, yeah, we, we, uh, so we brought that back in house again and, and just kind of have scaled it up from there. But, but that is the big piece is just kind of really coordinating, getting everything to show up at the right time um, and all of that. And we're, so we've, you know, developed a good system and then we're trying to uh, working on some software development actually as well to kind of um, further automate all of that management process. That's very cool. I remember either hearing you or reading something that you guys will, will take and actually at the warehouse, we'll, we'll kind of take all the different parts that are associated with a unit and then Mm -hmm. put them all together. So when you deliver them, it's everything's there that they need to, to build out that unit. Exactly. So those are kit boxes and um, it makes a huge difference. Saves a ton of time from having guys running back and forth to the shop on site. You don't have to worry nearly as much about things going missing or getting broken or different items like that. So it is one large box, you know, ceiling fans at the bottom because they're the biggest, 
you know, and all the small pieces, uh, everything comes in one kit so that it can go directly into the unit. All the stuff that you need is, is there. Um, then once everything is kind of installed and put up, put all the trash back in the box and get rid of the box. And that's, so that, that's um, very cool. So, it has really made it a lot more efficient. You mentioned 10 years ago. So you, is that you've been in this business for 10 years? Yeah, I started in multifamily. It'll be 10 years in August, but August of 2011. So awesome. Awesome. So why did, what were you doing before and why did you even get into multifamily? Um, I was doing some single family stuff before then. So some of that was scale in terms of moving from uh, single family to multifamily. But my background um, prior to that, like prior career was uh, working in the retirement plan industry. So I used to design and administer um, 401k plans and define benefit plans. So uh, that's kind of where I, where I came from originally. And um, as like, as like an actuary or. Um, I never actually got my actual, I took a couple of the actuarial exams, but I never actually pursued it all the way. Cause I uh, moved to Texas and the job, then the company that I was, went to work for um, wasn't doing defined benefit plans. So okay. I never so actually finished capa- my actuarial. What capacity were you, were you in when you, when you moved over? So um, most of the time I was doing an actual plan design. So actually taking all of the census data, figuring out exactly how to apply the laws as best you can to create the best tax savings opportunities um, and meet all the testing requirements. So most of the plan plan design was mostly my piece of it. So kind of getting everything set up initially, um, but also did a lot of other, a lot of other pieces from soup to nuts on all of that. So. Fantastic. And so worked so, for a professional organization in that field for a while um, once my boys were born. So I'd been kind of a volunteer on their education committee for a couple of years before the boys were born and then actually worked for them part time for a few years when, when we were working on single family and kind of up through the beginning of the multifamily stuff. And then, then the multifamily, since it was way more than full time, ended up taking over that piece. Taking so. over. And look, you've been extremely successful. You've you've built a great reputation. Um you know, why do you, why do you keep doing it? Um, I don't know. I guess most of the time it's still fun. I mean, look, um, a lot of people get into it because of, you know, to get the financial, build financial wealth. But after you guys have already been way successful, sure. you get to a certain point. So why, do, why do you keep doing it? Well, I guess part of it was by the time I kind of realized that I had made a decent amount of money. We already had so many other projects already in progress that, you know, there was just stuff to continue on with. Um, I'm trying to get at least a hundred, make a hundred millionaires was one of my goals. So got to hang in there for a little while longer. Uh, Made made a good dent in that. But um, as far as our investors, um, getting people from sophisticated to accredited and then uh, some of the ones that were already millionaires, I counted if they, if I made them at least an extra million dollars. So um, <laughs> there's, there's quite a few of those as well. And so I'm going to, that that's kind of coming along. So a lot of it's just kind of the difference that you can make. We've got a great team that's been put together. So I really like the people that I get to work with every day. So that's a, a huge piece of it. Um, you know, 2021 has been a, a more challenging year. There's certain moments when I do ask myself, why am I still doing this? <laughs> Uh, particularly one was definitely challenging for, for a lot yeah, of different was, industries. So, um, the, it, we actually kind of have started miss 2020, I think actually in 2021, first quarter between, uh, the, all of the pipes freezing during our, our deep freeze. And then we actually had four fires at oh, various no. properties in the first quarter. Um, so three relatively minor ones, just a handful of units in each place. And one of which was actually caused by a plumber. Um, when they were fixing one of the pipe breaks during our great ice storm, 
And then the, the biggest one um, on, on actually the same date you had mentioned before about the eviction moratorium being extended on March 29th. We also uh, had a major fire at one of our properties that was all over the news on March 29th. So oh, my, no. for my birthday, it was it was uh, quite the adventure. That's um, that's that's stressful. Um, yeah. So so it's been a, it's been a complicated year, but uh, everything's all it's it's all coming together, and we when we you know kind of plod through it. And I've got an awesome team that's really done a great job, kind of being resilient through through a lot of complications. Um, well, so I like a different. couple of your answers when I said, why do you keep doing it? You know, one, you, you know, it wasn't about you. It was, it was how I want to make a hundred millionaires, um, through my, my investor database and, and that you've built up this, you know, when you started, you didn't have anywhere near the number of employees that you have now. And so yeah. you have this one property massive- and two employees, and now we've got about 170. Yeah. So now you've got all these families that, you know, are looking to the company and looking to you to lead. And um, so there's a, you know, a a sense of responsibility back to, to all of your team members. Um, And you know what? I don't know this because I haven't gone and sat on the beach as, you know, in retirement, but I just think that if you make so much money that you just cash in and go off and do nothing, that's kind of when you start to, you know, lose it because, you know, you, you kind of keep your mind moving and learning and growing and getting uncomfortable and giving back and being a contributor to society rather than just go hang out on the beach, you know? So, um, I, you know, I applaud you for having that uh, perspective. Hey, there's, there's some, there's a lot of things that you guys do differently than other syndicators because you know syndication can be hey how do you do it you got to do all these steps and it could be you know one person after the other person just kind of do it the same way but you guys do a lot of things differently so i want to hit on a few of those um okay one you guys create a fund and raise the capital before you actually purchase the deal. Most syndicators mm-hmm. will go out and they lock up the deal and then they've got four to six weeks to raise the money and close within 60 days. You know, so why sure. did you decide to go the fund route? Well, um, kind of a couple of reasons that one of it is, um, you have to make really strong offers in this day and age. And that, I mean, that's actually been true for years, but oftentimes there's hard earnest money and other things. And so we want to have a decent gauge of what the level of interest is, how much of our investors actually have to work with, how much we're going to have um, to do. Also, it can make the offers a lot stronger to have the money actually already raised. I mean, that is a question that I get frequently from sellers is, you know, during a buyer interview call, do you already have have the funds or, or they are already committed? Um, so that definitely can help things. So normally we at least start ahead of time as we're as we're looking for properties. Um, the other thing is we really like to have it. We kind of stumbled into it a little bit on the first one in terms of we had ended up with three properties in that portfolio and then three in the next one, um, then actually seven in the one after that, and then one by itself and then two again. But we like having the multiple properties in a single offering. Um, It gives some additional diversification for the investors. And then it also just, it gives kind of more ability to play off one another. So often, you know, sometimes 
when eviction moratoriums get extended, you'll have a property where a couple people go, oh, well, I guess I really don't have to pay April's rent because, you know, I, well, I got all caught up in March, but I guess April isn't really a priority anymore because they can't evict me. And so if you have one of the, you know, where you get a handful of those residents at one of the properties, maybe you don't at the other property. And so then it kind of, kind of balances it out a little bit, um, gives a little bit, you know, more of a pool to work with. Um, it's a little more capital efficient in terms of um, kind of it, the going in uh, capital that you need in order to start some of the capital projects and things while you're waiting on draw requests. You know, instead of having to have a certain amount for every single property, sometimes we're able to, okay, we're going to start the exterior over here at this site right now. And then as soon as we get that draw money back, then we'll go work on the one over at the other site. So um, we do it get some, some capital efficiency. With, with multiple, you know, um, those are all good answers. And I, I wasn't necessarily expecting all the, um, that perspective, you know, so a lot of people that I talk to, it's funny because I talk to a lot of syndicators that, ha, you know, have done eight, nine, 10 deals and they don't say it this way. But when I ask them, why don't you create a fund? Like most of them won't admit it to me, but they, I could tell they're scared. They're, they're nervous. Look, they've they were scared on their first syndication, but they were able to raise the money and they know how mm -hmm. to do that, you know? And then, right. you know, going from a deal specific to, hey, I'm going to raise a fund. Raising a fund is more about, I believe in you. Like, I believe in, you know, Kim. It I believe is, in definitely. exponential and versus, you know, really analyzing the deal. Like, look, She's come through time and time again. I'm going to, you know, but that first time when you go over and, and do it for the first time, that it is taking a risk. Like how many of those people sure. were really investing because of the deal versus because of me. And, right. um, uh, but I don't know if you know a guy by the name of Ivan Barrett out of, um, out of Indy. Um, but he also is, I think he's on his like third fund and he's a big proponent of it you know, in terms mm -hmm. of is very, very difficult in the beginning, you know, building that credibility, but then afterwards it gives a lot of flexibility. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that I've seen your guys funds fill up predominantly before you, you go out and buy deals anyway, but he was talking also that it gives them more runway because if they're buying multiple assets, they could, end up raising enough money for the first asset, keep the fund open, and then they're going and raising for, for the next. Yeah. For you guys, you guys kind of close it off and then go out and buy the deals. And then you start a new fund for the next ones. It varies a little bit. Oftentimes we bring in, you know, sort of raise the initial bulk of stuff and then kind of wait to see exactly what it is that we find um, to know if we need more, or if we're already sufficiently funded to do it. So, I mean, it's kind of a back and forth game. It's not... Um, it's not always always, you know, that we raise all of it up front and then sure, because sure. you just never know quite what you're going to find. Um, right. It is definitely, right. everything is more expensive than it was when I started in 2011 yeah, well, by a long shot. So yeah, uh, absolutely. You, you definitely can spend the money a lot faster. But Well, with that said, you know, you've been in the business for 10 years. Um, when I got into the business like three and a half years ago, I had, I ran into some syndicators who are like, Darren, man, I was buying, you know, early on 30, 40 a door. And now it's 80 a door. I'm out, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to wait this thing out. I'm out. And 
you know, what I bought at 80 a door and now it's well over a hundred a door. Um, you know, what's your viewpoint? This is like the, I don't ask everybody this because everybody doesn't have as big a perspective as, as you do. Um, but what's your perspective on multifamily going forward? I mean, do you, do you think it's going to continue to run? And if so, why? So, you know, I mean, I can make cases kind of in any, in any direction on that. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, I think that there's going to be some inflation soon. Um, I think we're already seeing a lot of that. And real estate is a great asset to have in an inflationary environment. So um, do I think that cap rates are going to comp- continue to compress? I could make an argument that they might. I certainly would not underwrite that way. I do not right. underwrite for cap rate compression. <laughs> right. I, I underwrite for cap rate expansion because I it don't It helps know a lot of people exactly. out if they make a mistake, you know, <laughs> but... Uh, yes, it, it, it certainly, you know, I mean, the cap rate compression has been very, very good to me. Um, you know, I, I like to think we've done a really great job of, on our properties and have operated them well and really kind of gotten what we are, you know, but some of the massively exceeding our, you know, anticipated things was somewhat due to cap rate compression. And so that's been great. Um, but I, so I'm always pretty conservative in underwriting it. Um, you know, that said, you can't be too conservative or you will be sitting on the sidelines. And so- right. Um, don't want to be sitting on the sidelines entirely, but I'm also, um, I guess for me, I'm really focusing on making sure that the assets that I have now are the assets that I want to have. So, um, I am selling a decent bit of the portfolio that are things that we don't want to hold long-term, um, and really focusing on the ones that are and trying to find the new acquisitions that are things that we're okay with holding for a longer period of time. Um, hopefully we can still churn turn them relatively quickly or, you know, still get um, at least recapitalize uh, to get the investors back some other money or refinance on some of them. So I think there's a lot of opportunities to do all of those things, but I do want to make sure that there's things that I'm, I'm happy owning for the longer period of time. Sure. I think there's a chance that tax rates are going to be higher for a bit. There might be just, it might just make sense to, to hang on to some things. Um, kind of what we own at the end of the year, we're trying to make sure that that's a portfolio that we are comfortable holding longer term if if that's the advantageous thing to do based on kind of how the market reacts. That, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, so, the prices have gone crazy, but yeah. I think a piece of it, I mean, some of it's just real. There are just tons of people flooding into Texas. So it's particularly in this market. There's just, it is sort of a supply constrained market. Um, and then even on the investment side, we've got a lot more money from the coast. I mean, there's always been money from the coast pouring into Texas, but there's even more so now. And then, you know, COVID also added a lot of the people that were in more retail focused investments, hospitality focused investments, office investments. So it's kind of those branches of real estate have kind of transitioned into multifamily too. So, um, you know, con- constrained supply in terms of the actual number of buildings that are available and, uh, relatively unconstrained supply of dollars looking to invest here. So that's, that's a great way to put it. Great way to put it. Um, you didn't go into detail in terms of how you're making your selections and what you want to keep and what, what you, you don't necessarily want to keep. I have talked to a number of syndicators over the last couple of years that they've for, I don't know, lack of a better term have been trading up and, you know, have been, getting out of some of their C, B minus assets and getting more into B plus 
you know, A minus type assets. And so would you characterize your shift to be consistent with that or was it some other determination? It's pretty consistent with that, but it's also, um, also kind of focusing on areas that I want to be in as well. So, um, yeah, anyway, early in my career, there's been certain times that we've owned, uh, properties that might have a not quite as great, uh, neighborhood sometimes. And we've made a lot of money there and it's, it's gone very well, but there are certain things that I'm, I am trying to get just a little bit, a little bit safer, reduce some liability, um, those sorts of pieces as well. And also um, really focusing on what cities that we want to be in because um, some cities are much easier to work with. Some cities respond to stuff a whole lot better than others. So that's a, that's a big piece of it too, is making sure that are we you actually are happy with the locations. Only in Dallas or are you all, all across Texas or what markets are you focused on? We're only in DFW um, as, far as, what we, okay. as far as what we've owned. Um, we are looking at a lot of other areas. We've looked at other markets. Um, there's a portfolio we were, we were going after um, recently that had uh, a San Antonio asset in it as well. Um, so a lot of things that we're considering, and we've evaluated a lot of other markets, looked at a lot of properties in other markets, but have managed to find, find stuff that we were happy with here. And so that makes it simple when everything's uh, close to home. Fantastic. Another thing that you do a little different um, is how you, you finance deals. So, you know, I guess I would say a big majority of, of syndicators that I know focus on agency financing and you guys are, are more focused on bank debt. Um, Talk about, you know, why you went that direction um, versus agency financing. Sure. So one of the pieces of advice, or at least kind of a concept that I was introduced to pretty early in, in my investing career was just really the concept of exit flexibility. So you want to make sure that, that your debt is in alignment with kind of your plans for the project and for the property. Um, and that you also have flexibility on, on when you exit, if that's something that's important to the, to executing the business plan. And so, um, I have done some agency, um, the third property that we bought was actually an agency loan. And when we sold that, the buyer decided not to assume um, financing and paid the $3 million prepayment holy, penalty. Holy cow. So um, anyway, watching somebody write that check uh, definitely had had a piece of, of that. And, you know, I've, and I had one other one that we actually bought as a loan acquisition that we sold. That one was only like about a million or so dollar prepayment penalty. But um those can, those can be quite large. And so, yes, while the loans are assumable, um, it can be very expensive to get out of them if it's not, if the loan terms are no longer something that somebody wants to assume. So it's, it's easier potentially now to justify getting into a longer term, you know, the interest rates really going to be below 3%, probably, you know, longer term, probably not. So probably it is attractive for somebody to assume in a couple of years, but you know, a couple of years ago, we thought interest rates were really low when they were at five. Right. And so if you had a, you know, four and a half percent loan or whatever, and you're trying to sell that property now, you're kind of in a mess. You either have a huge prepayment penalty or you have to get somebody to assume a rate that's one and a half percent above what they can. So um, that was a lot of the pieces that we always kind of looked for. So we started out doing a decent bit of um, bank debt. And then now we have an insurance company that we work with a lot on a lot of our um, a lot of our loans. So we're often able to get um, fixed rate, but with a lot more exit flexibility, um, usually shorter term, usually more in the five year type time horizon. 
but that matches well with kind of what we're trying to do as far as executing the business plan as well. So we're trying to sort of come in, get our value add done, you know, get to a place that we can either refinance, recapitalize or sell in that three to three to five year mark. So um, that timing works well for us. That makes sense. And, um, and they've been great partners to work with too. Um, so. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a give and take, right? You're bringing them business and they're comfortable with you and, and they're getting a good return. And, um, what, so it's a five-year term is, are there any extensions on that or is it, is it, uh, just balloon and at the five? Sometimes they have extension. I mean, some of them we've had extensions built into them. Um, a lot of them are just a five-year term, but usually, um, free and clear exit after two years or so. So you kind of have anywhere between two years and five years that you don't have to pay any of the exit penalties. So, um, yeah, that's huge. That, well like you us. said before, I mean, when it was four and a half, five percent coupon rates, people thought everything was going up to six. And and there's a there's a number of syndicators that are just stuck in their properties right now. They're you know they're they could sell them at really attractive per unit you know uh, valuations, but you know because of the debt they put on it they're stuck with this massive uh, prepayment penalty that they'd have to pay. So they're just like, right. you know what, I'll ride it out and, and hold it for longer. Right. Um, so another thing that you guys do um, that's different is, you know, you're focused on the investor base differently than I've seen with, with other people. Um, so you have a Christmas party this year. Didn't you didn't do it because of COVID, um, but you have a Christmas party, you know, and all the investors get there and, you know, get, and you see some, some you know, familiar faces and people, some people are in your deals only. And some people are in other deals also. And, and you give back that way. Also you, you have open houses at your properties and mm-hmm. you, you just talked about, you had an open house at your materials company. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, you do due diligence a little differently. You know, most of the syndicators that I've talked to, and we did the same thing as we used um, a combination of, you know, whoever's going to be doing our inspection and also our property management company, third party property to do the inspections. Mm-hmm. But you guys will also enlist investors to come and do that. And I know that when I was getting started, you know, you guys were one of the first deals I got involved with. And I was one of those investors. I went and I wanted to see what it was like. So I, I went and participated in one of those. So can you talk about why you chose to do that and, and what, what that looks like? Well, sure. I mean, I, you know, I guess as far as the due diligence, I mean, why not yeah. take advantage of free labor, right? So you know, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I hey. can, we, we have a large management company, so I can pull a whole lot of maintenance guys off of their respective sites and have them walk units. But Um, But no, all kidding aside, you know, I think it's a good way for the investors that want to be involved to be involved. I mean, it's certainly nothing that anybody has to do. And we have, you know, oftentimes we'll have over 100 investors in a single project. So, you know, it's a very, very small percentage of them that um, actually come and do that. But just it's another way for the investors to get connected with the team and with us and see some of the assets and see kind of what's going on. And a lot of them have kind of become experts in, in terms of what to look for and things as they've done it multiple times. Yeah, I, I had a few guys that had, had, had done a number of properties that they, they knew what was going down and they were teaching me, nope, this is the way you got to do it. They were, <laughs> and, they were checking under the sinks for whether or not that cabinet was rotted out. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, so yeah, I know. 
Um, so, so that's been kind of fun. I mean, and then as far as the Christmas party, I mean, and we try to have Christmas parties. We try to have um, sale parties. It was it was really hard during COVID. That was probably the hardest part during COVID is because we are used to having at least, you know, three or four events a year um, that have the investors have an opportunity to get together and get to see everybody. And we didn't get to do that. And this was the first time that we had some sales this past fall. And I had to just mail all the checks instead of uh, getting to hand them out um, in person. So that part was kind of a bummer, but we're very happy to be back uh, at things. So now that Texas was open, we had um, an open house at the two properties that we bought in December a couple weeks back. And then last week we had the event at the warehouse. We're trying to trying to have a few different things that people can come out and, and get reinvolved and get to, get connected. Uh, had an awesome, awesome surprise last Tuesday night when we you, had the investors here. I had an awesome surprise. What was um, it? Gary, my uh, original KP from the very first property that lives in Portugal, walked in the door. Holy and I had cow, no idea had that no he was coming, was coming. And I was just like talking to somebody. And then all of a sudden I look up and Gary was there. So that was really, really cool. Um, very so cool. He had, he had come back for, for various reasons, but um, took the time to come to the event too, which was really cool. Um, so it was awesome to, awesome to see him and, and just see everybody. Like it, our investors really kind of are, are all friends and family and, and, and kind of become part of the family. So it's really cool. And the, um, the teams get a lot out of invest out of talking to the investors. It kind of gives them an idea of kind of the bigger purpose of the work that they're doing on a day to day basis. And I think the investors really like getting to know some of the team members and hearing about some of the things that go on at site. They, they have a whole new appreciation sometimes after some of those conversations and hearing some of the stories that they hear in terms of um, how hard our teams work. And that, that, you know, that, that's an interesting perspective too. I didn't even think about that, but the, you know, intermingling of the, the employees and the investors and they, you know, they come at it from two different angles. And, um, so a gentleman that I know that, you know, um, Glenn Gonzalez, I had him mm-hmm. on, on uh podcast and, and he was kind enough to invite, um, my, my son and I to come down to his ranch and we, we went down there and, and visit him. But he mentioned to me that, you know, um, for him, you know, he's kind of, the, he's got the book, the, you know, mm-hmm. maintenance man, the millionaire, and he spends time with the maintenance people to under and the leasing people to, to educate them on, look, the reason why we're doing this. And like, every time you save money here or you increase, you know, revenue here, this is what happens to the valuation and then impacts all the investors. And that's why we're all working together. And most of those people don't have anybody that, you know, spend the time to teach them that. So, you know, giving them access to the investors um, is another way of doing that. Yeah. And we, we try to make sure that our employees really do understand kind of how the business works and, and a lot of the benefits to that. And then we also let the, uh, the employees invest in the properties. So, um, we actually let them make small investments in, in the properties that we're buying. We have kind of an employee fund um, that one of our investors actually set up a, a separate LLC for them to kind of have an employee investment fund. And so, um, Very cool. that's, a, so that's a neat way too. So I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, doubling a thousand dollars isn't going to get you real rich real fast, but it still makes a big difference. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, Hey, you're invested, you know? Um, right. So, so somebody came up with the idea of creating an LLC and then any of the employees can invest in that LLC and that LLC then becomes one of the investors mm-hmm. in the fund. Yep. Very cool. So he does, um, they get just basically interest on their investment during the time that it's held. And then um, they get the benefits of it at sale 
on the rest of it so that it keeps their taxes a lot simpler. Because uh, certainly would not be worth getting rid of a, a very simple tax filing in order to do a complicated one for a small investment. So right, um, right. let's come up with some creative ways to do that. So. Very, 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 very cool. I like that. Um, so you also did something different just recently. And, and I don't know if it's right up your alley or if somebody coaxed you into doing it. But, you know, different with syndications versus buying stocks. You you know, most indicators will send out a monthly email with updates, you know, on mm-hmm. what's going on with the properties. Well, this last one that it came from you, I saw was, it had a video. And so there you were, you know, with a, I don't know, five minute, 10 minute video, whatever it was. And I'm thinking to myself, she probably, you know, somebody was probably telling her, you got to do this video. And she's like, I don't I don't want to do it. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I could tell you from an investor perspective that especially with COVID where we haven't had a chance to see each other, right? It mm-hmm. was nice to actually see and hear from, you know, Miss Kim Radiker base. So um, I haven't had, I'm in probably, I don't know, 12, 13 deals and I haven't had one other person do that. And I think that that's probably more and more people will probably start doing that because it gives access to, you know, really it's nice reading an email, you know, mm-hmm. but seeing somebody speak, you know, and, and give their true thoughts, you know, that's a nice perspective as well. Yeah. We've gotten great feedback on the videos. Um, you know, it's always, but no, I mean, I, I enjoy doing the videos. I you, enjoy do, you do people. enjoy I, it. So somebody yeah, didn't push you it. into doing have, it. <laughs> no, no, I don't, you know, I don't really get pushed into doing it, but um, so I do enjoy that. It's hard for me, a little harder for me to understand everybody loving the videos because the only time I really have time to, e- to like read through email that's like just personal stuff that like if I have my investments or that sort of a thing is yeah. usually when my husband's still asleep first thing in the morning. So I can't watch videos because sound <laughs> would wake him up. So I'm bad about watching videos myself. So I normally just read the emails. But um, we've gotten huge feedback from the from the videos, and it's and it's a lot of fun. And there is stuff that is just a lot easier to explain. Um, I think one of the ones that we sent out, um, was just to one of the groups of investors, cause it's sort of a unique portfolio as we're starting to peel off different pieces because there's kind of a portfolio loan and how all of that works. And so that was something that was a lot easier to sort of have a conversation about, um, kind of talk through as opposed to trying to put everything in an email of, of how it kind of all works and what, what expectations to have as we're starting to divest of portions of that portfolio. So, um, absolutely. Um, Look, you're you're a woman in predominantly man business, um, mm-hmm. and you you've catapulted yourself to you know extremely successful. Successful. Um, how does that impact anything, or does it not? Being a woman um, in the business. So I guess I have sort of a unique perspective on this. So um, at NMHC, the first year that I went, I mean if. If there was 1% women at that conference, I would have been pretty amazed. I went with my uh, director of operations, Natasha, and she and I went and I mean, there, you know, it was really low. I would say we're probably up the last time we went right before COVID, um, probably closer to about 10%. So uh, definitely massive increase, but uh, still it is a very male dominated business. But there was a women's event um, at that last one that I went to and, and 
there's a lot of talk about trying, you know, oh, we need to get more women in this business and whatever else. And, or, you know, complaining about not being part of the club or whatever. And I think to look at it that way is to miss an opportunity because you are there in a sea of blue suits. Right. It's all it is. Thousands of guys in blue suits. They would much rather talk to me as a female right. than talk to each other. So take advantage of the opportunity. I mean, yeah. everybody, you know, yes, it's a little bit daunting or intimidating potentially if you let it be, but everybody would rather hear what you have to say, honestly, than talk to the guy that they're talking to now most of the time. So, I mean, it's, in some Absolutely. ways, I think it can just be a huge advantage. It, you, they, you are assumed to have a different perspective and a different story and a story to tell um, kind of in what you've done. And, it, and I think it's sometimes actually easier to get um, the attention or, or make that a more memorable connection and stuff. So instead of looking at it as a negative, I've always just kind of viewed it as a positive and it's just yeah. one of those things, you know, I mean, that's- that's, that's great. That's great. Um, I spoke with Maureen Miles and she had similar perspective. She was like, look, I just look at it as an advantage, you know? Um, so that, that's fantastic that you have that perspective as well. Um, you probably have heard this quote before, you know, 90% of millionaires have come through real estate. You know, do, do you believe that? And, and, you know, um, you know, why do you think that is? Um, probably, I mean, I, you know, I haven't researched the statistic, but it probably is, it's probably not far off. I mean, there's, there's definitely some people, I mean, you can save your way probably to a million dollars. I know people that have done that, you know, just good career and, you know, stick, stick money in your 401k and, you know, build up, save along the side, invest in the stock market and those sorts of things. But it is hard to make, um, meaningful, amounts in changing that sort of a thing with kind of traditional investments. Um, you know, you can, you can be very lucky and pick the right stock at the right time. Uh, you know, Bitcoin millionaires and all of that, but, no, uh, right. Exactly. The other but, thing that I know. think is, is interesting is, is like, if like, if you're in this world, you see the benefit of leverage, right? Leverage of, you know, having a loan that's 70 to 80% of, you know, and, and any of the gain is going to go back to the equity owners, you know, um, having the depreciation, you know, so you're, you're depreciating and appreciating asset, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and so, um, and then if you're a syndicator, you're leveraging other people's money. Also, you're, you're bringing on limited partners and, you know, to, to raise capital. So there's massive, um, reasons why it is, I don't want to say it's easier, but I think it happens more frequently and at larger, um, you know, percentage levels in real estate because of that leverage where you don't necessarily have that, you know, if you go buy stock, yeah, you could buy calls and puts and, and, but most people don't know how to do that and don't do that. So that, you know, you buy $10,000 IBM it's $10,000 IBM, you know, but you put money into a syndication and you're getting that leverage. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's interesting is, and I still have like, I was just golfing with my buddies and some of them are not in the real estate world. And when I talk about the returns, like I'm talking about some of the deals that I'm invested in passively that are up for sale right now and what the potential returns are coming back. And they're like, yeah, but that's more risky. And 
I've never viewed it as more risky. I mean, the stock because market, you have no control whatsoever. Um, exactly. But it's because we're in it, right? I mean, yeah. I think there's so many That's people true. that grow up and just told like what you said, the W2 employee just puts their money in the stock market and forget it and think that that's the smart play. And then when you learn about, you know, this, I'm like, I don't look at it as being more risky. I'm like the banks that are lending on this, you know, if it's a $10 million asset and they're going to give a seven or $8 million loan, they've got a ton of data to mm-hmm. go through to assess whether that's a good financial decision. And, you know, so it's on top of the syndicator and all the experienced passive investors, you've got these lenders that aren't going to lend on this stuff. If, if it's going to be, you know, a risky investment. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. There is that extra double check of the loans. Now, I mean, lenders can sometimes be, well, I haven't seen them go crazy in multifamily. Obviously, back in 08, 09, they were going pretty crazy in uh, Um, single family. They made some bad bad decisions on that, but um, in terms of the creditworthiness. But the nice thing is that all the multifamily loans are really based on the creditworthiness of the property. And so it is the property that's making the money and the property that's, you know, making the payments on that and kind of justifies what it is. And so... I mean, sure, occupancies can just, you know, dramatically drop and whatever, if, if you know, depending on different moves and different things. And obviously there's economic conditions. But overall, real estate's a pretty forgiving business um, because over time, it mostly corrects itself. As long as you can kind of hang in there, the market, real estate is way more expensive now than it was, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So in some senses, even if, you know, maybe you overpaid a little today or things didn't run quite as smoothly or you had a little bit of a dip in occupancy or your renovation costs more than you thought it would. There's a very strong possibility that you can kind of grow out of that if you just give it an extra like year or so. Um, whereas, you know, other other investments aren't quite as forgiving sometimes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Hey, earlier you talked about inflation that we're, you know, look, we're already seeing inflation and that Right. Most likely it's going to continue. Look where the government's put in four or five trillion dollars and wants to put in another massive uh, trillion plus package for, um, you know, uh, construction and whatnot. So you mentioned that real estate's a great place to be in an inflationary mm-hmm. environment. Can you just in a s- simplified manner kind of talk through like why? Why is real estate a good place to be? So the big thing is when prices are going up, the prices of everything is going up. So um, that would include rents generally increasing in, you know, kind of along with inflation. So the rents will go up over time. And so because those rents go up based on how the multifamily properties are valued, if the rents are going up faster than the expenses, I mean, your expenses will go up, but there is a higher revenue number than an expense number. You wouldn't be profit. It wouldn't be a profitable business. So um, as that income is climbing, that really makes the property more valuable over time. So um, kind of it will naturally increase over time in an inflationary environment. So if it's if inflation is high, likely the property prices are going up pretty commensurate with that. Um, another nice thing about multifamily is that those the leases are generally a year long. 
So, um, you know, sometimes six months, sometimes 15 months, different things, but it's not like an industrial lease or whatever, where you might be tied in for seven to 10 years. And if that lease doesn't renew at that time, when the prices are going up so much. So there's, there's a whole security that comes from having the tenants locked in for a long period of time. But there's also a risk in it as well, because you've set a pricing years ago and you don't really know whether you're going to be getting a good deal as far as what you're getting paid in rent five years from now or not. Um, so one of the nice things about multifamily is that that does kind of adjust on an annual basis. And so you are able to keep up with those inflationary trends on a much yeah, more rapid. That, that's, that's a huge point when comparing, when you compare multifamily to other asset classes. So you mentioned industrial and industrial is, is hot. Also it multifamily is. and industrial are both really hot segments of the, of the real estate market. And, but you know, I, I was recently talking to a guy that his business, he's, he's in a company that that's all they do is industrial. Mm-hmm. He's like, Darren, man, you are in the right spot. Because, you know, when we hit this inflation, you know, we're, we're locked in with these rent increases in our contracts for the next five, 10 years, just like you said. But in multifamily, if inflation shoots up, incomes shoot up, people have more cash, there's more competition for apartments. We don't, we can up the rent by, you know, whatever the going market rate is, and we're not locked in. So that's a, that's a great point. Um, another point on the inflation side, and you mentioned that the revenue, you know, is going to be more than the expenses. Um, in, in many cases, not all cases, because you could get a floating rate loan and, but in most cases, your debt service is going to be, you know, locked in. So your rents are going up, but your debt service is fixed. So Mm -hmm. that gap, continues to get bigger, you know, each year. So that that's another huge benefit of being in that very, very true. Yeah. I mean, it, it is nice to have debt when there's uh, inflation because you get to pay it back with dollars that are less valuable later on yeah, than, than the dollars huge. you borrowed today. So that's, that's um, huge. Um, how'd you grow up? Were you brothers, sisters? In, were you in Dallas? I, had, I was basically, I was, I was more or less an only child. I have, I had one brother, um, he passed away when I was 16, but he turned 16 when I was only two weeks old. So he was like off at college by the time I was two. So um, we were sort of more two only children in many ways than um, anything else. But grew up in the Midwest, um, outside of Chicago in the suburbs, and then went to University of Iowa, spent some time in Cleveland, and then uh, made my way down to Texas. And I've been here since 2002. So this is definitely home now. I've been here Where did you get the entrepreneurial bent? Was it from growing up? Oh, that's or my dad. My dad. dad? Uh, Yeah, my dad. um, He was originally doing a manufacturer's rep, and then he actually owned a powder metal plant that he built from ground up um, and then sold that business several years ago. But um, he's, you know, definitely an entrepreneur. I suppose I just don't take instruction very well. I don't like getting told what to do. So the entrepreneur thing works better for me. Right, exactly. If you don't like to be told what to do, then then having your own business is is definitely a way to go. It's a pretty good way to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what do you like to do outside of work? Um, well, so we actually bought a ranch, uh, this past fall. And so, um, we are part of the reason we got that property is because we started a nonprofit last year. And so, um, that's going to benefit families impacted by autism. So the, the ranch that we bought, 
um, while we hold it personally now, it, we'll kind of deed uh, acreage over to the foundation over time as um, as there's need to do so on that, but um, really have a place where our families can go and spend time um, and have a little bit of normal kind of a way in, a, in place where everybody else kind of understands that the unexpected is to be expected. Um, so we spent a lot of the time down at the ranch. So that's been that's been a lot of fun to do. And um, I went from having one cat like a year and a half ago to now we've got two dogs, but then we also have Herefords and Longhorns and sheep and goats and <laughs> chickens. Um, so that's been, that's been quite the adventure. Um, Hopefully you have somebody that takes care of all of those animals. We do. We, we've got a ranch hand that's down there full time. So he, he takes care of all of them when we're not down there. Um, I crochet a decent bit. So that's kind of some creative outlet, I guess, keeps me busy and productive if I'm just sitting there watching TV uh, that's, gives me something other. That's other something I would not have expected to hear from you. <laughs> like you seem like you you got your hands in a lot of different things, and you're always thinking about how to make things more efficient and grow. And um, so sitting down crocheting does not like for some reason. Well, I'm not good at like just sitting and doing nothing. <laughs> so like if we're gonna watch a movie or whatever, right? right. I just you know. Yeah, yeah, done that at the it. same time, I guess. Yeah, I like to cook. It, it's probably calming like to, to you too, you know. It is, um, yeah. You know, it kind of is a little bit of a way to to calm the mind. I, um, I just recently finished my nemesis project. Um, Natasha had actually found a a peppermint afghan, like it looks like the little spiral peppermints um, Christmas afghan on Pinterest uh, a little over five years ago, and she's like, "Hey, you crochet? Could you make this for me?" And I looked at the pattern, and I was like, "Oh my." going to be a beating. And so I, there, lots of procrastination went into it, but eventually um, just recently finished it and gave it to her for her five six years year anniversary later. for working for me. Nice. Um, so it took me like five years to finish it because I procrastinated a lot and put it down for like, you know, years at a time and whatever. It's a very well-traveled Afghan. It's been to uh, Mexico and Uruguay. It's been <laughs> um, to probably 20 different states. And based on the number of hours that went into it, it's probably worth about 20 grand at my hourly rate. But, you know, anyway, it, it eventually got done. So and it looked fantastic. Stuff, so. Fantastic. So it was good. Hey, if, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to um, learn more about you and, and uh, reach out? Sure. Well, our company is Exponential Property Group. So um, feel free to go to our website. There's some information there on our on our track record. Um, people that are interested in investing can um, reach out to Amanda at, uh, by emailing invest at expg.com. Uh, my email is kim at expg.com. So they can email me as well. You will get a bounce back on my out of office stuff because I do try to focus uh, more on some of the bigger projects. That's been kind of my focus for the past year and a half is to kind of work through those things. But um, it will, it will get read at some point. It just sometimes is a little bit delayed. So, um, and, and I get a vouch for, uh, Amanda. She is phenomenal. Um, you know, if, if I was ever to hire somebody to, to be investor relations, I like, she's the model, you know, she's just so super, um, responsive and, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, you email or call her and you're going to get a call back quick and she's going to follow up and get you the answers you need. And, um, you guys have been great to work with. I I look forward to, um, investing in more of your deals and, um, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. This, this keep a watch for her because this one's a superstar. All right. Until next week, signing off. Thank you so much, Darren. It's really sweet. 
Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>